Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that looks at the property world from all angles. And today, we're looking at it through the eyes of the next generation, so to speak, and asking whether COVID and lockdowns have changed the way they think about how they live, work and spend their money. London has definitely come back to life. Um, We saw an influx of graduates, of students coming back to town. Local shopping has has really taken off. You know, if people are commuting less, they're spending more time in their local area. But on the other hand, you know, e-commerce is always going to become more and more innovative. You know, you don't even need to leave Instagram to buy a product now. I think what we have seen and what we will continue to see is a reduction in the amount of fixed desks, more areas for quiet focused work and more spaces to collaborate between different team members. I'm Guy Ruddle and I'm joined by three of Savile's finest young research talents today, all of whom, if I'm honest, are making me feel a little bit old, but quite energised. And between them, they cover the residential, office and retail and leisure markets. So let's start with Josh Arnold. He's our retail and leisure man. He's an associate in the commercial research team and, amongst other things, is exploring new concepts like experiential leisure and competitive socialising. Hello, Josh. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Guy. Sophie Tong has got the resi sector covered. She's an analyst in the residential research team. A lot of her work is on reports for local authorities, housing associations and private developers to help them with their development investment decisions. Hello, Sophie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Guy. Lovely to be here. And Simon Priest is an associate director in the commercial research team. He specialises in the office sector with a particular focus on the southeast and the greater London market. Simon, welcome to Real Estate Insights. Hi, Guy. Hope everyone's well. Yes, all good, I think. So it's great to have you all here. I, I think this is the first time we've had everybody on Real Estate Insights in the same place uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. So maybe that's a bit of a sign that we're coming out the other side, fingers crossed. Mm. I think we'll sort of roughly split the next 15, 20 minutes into each of your areas. And I'm as, I'm keen to get your own personal reflections as well as your sort of insights from from the research you do um let's start with residential so sophie your area um we all we know all about the the problems for younger people getting onto the property ladder and the house prices relative to, to incomes and things like that but are there sort of particular trends that you think we're seeing post-covid So um, over the pandemic, you know, we've seen uh, the housing market has been really volatile um, and also the rental market um, has acted quite bizarrely in that city centre locations weren't um, particularly popular during sort of the lockdown periods we had. We saw quite a few young people actually move back home. Do you think that's been a problem for them? I mean, you know, something that all young people have had to do they've never done before is sort of working in a shared space it might be at home or it might be in a flat or something and that's that's a new thing do you think that's changed the way your generation thinks about how and where well where particularly they live and what they live in yeah, so I think sort of pre-pandemic, um, where you might rent um, in a city centre, you might not think too uh, greatly about sort of whether you've got the space to work from home because that wasn't really the norm. Um, you know, before the pandemic, I would be going into the office five days a week. And actually, uh, where I rented in London was just a base, really. I was out most of the day, um, socialising with friends in the evenings. Um, and actually, you've only really spent your weekends, perhaps, pottering about the flat so we're definitely seeing um, more renters looking for that 
extra space and also perhaps being um, close to green space to parks so that you know they can nip out on their lunch break and get a bit of fresh air um, as people kind of uh, appreciate that work-life balance a bit more coming out of the pandemic. Yeah I mean maybe when we're talking to Simon we'll delve deeper into whether people will carry on working from home as much as or to a certain extent or or, or where we'll end up with with that it's interesting what you're saying about people didn't want to be in the center of you know didn't want to rent in this in the in, in city centers so much do you think that's going to change now do you think maybe that people are going to say well actually no i've been so far away from the action i just want to be yeah you know, want to be where it's happening yeah, absolutely. I think definitely uh, since about August last year, we've seen a complete turnaround in the rental market, particularly in London. Um, I think London has definitely come back to life. Um, we saw an influx of graduates, of students coming back to town, uh, corporate relocations, and that's really driven up rents in the city centres. And, you know, affordability is a real issue for young people, actually. So let me ask you all, uh, Josh, Simon as well, just on that subject, before we go on, what did you think of what Kirsty Allsop was saying the other day about, you know, you will stop eating, just stop drinking cappuccino and, and you'll be fine and you'll be able to buy, you know, put a deposit down? Well, I think that obviously depends on the location you're seeking to buy a house. I think there is an element where younger people definitely do sort of view having greater experiences rather than saving money, for example, at a younger age. And I think that's been sort of shown in, sort of Josh will go on to explain later, like the rise and like competitive socialising, sort of other leisure amenities that people want to do. Um, but, but no, but in particular, definitely in areas of London, it's incredibly difficult for younger people unless you, to buy a house, for example, unless you've got two people earning significant amount of money, which is... Which is, which can happen in certain industries, but real probably isn't the norm. Or yeah. maybe um, prior to the pandemic, people were really being supported substantially by the the bank of mum and dad. Mm. So actually, even though people were buying houses, that may not be an entirely reflective yeah. of how much money they were actually earning. Do you, do you Josh? Maybe do you? Uh, another way of asking the same question is: I'm I'm acutely aware. You know, I'm well. I'm a generation above you. You could all just about, just about be my children. And I'm very conscious of that. I don't mean that <laughs> genetically, by the way. Um, I'm very conscious of the fact that that we had it much easier than your generation. Do you think there's enough sympathy for this this problem that, that you know, it's very hard for your generation to get on the property ladder? Um, no, maybe not. But I, th- I think at the same time as well, you know, as young people, we we, we want to live in the city centres. We have that choice to to live where we want to live um, while we're renting. And I think a lot of people, particularly over the last you know six months, have started moving back towards London to, you know, try and, um, you know, make the most of the things that they perhaps missed out on over the last two years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's evident when you look at how competitive the rental market is um, at the moment. Let's move on and talk talk about uh, the way we work, the way your generation is going to work. Simon, this is your your area. Yeah. I mean, I think the sort of the most obvious question is, you know, that we've talked on. I think all of us, anyway, have talked forever about this, and we've certainly talked on real estate insights about how much we're going to move back to the office and and mm-hmm. things like that. But from your from your perspective, from your generation's perspective. Do you want to be back in the office five days a week, or do you like the flexibility of I don't know three days a week or whatever? I think it really depends on the the business sector, the individual role the person does. But clearly, there is a trend of younger people are coming back to the office so more frequently than 
potentially older generations, you know, just the opportunity to collaborate with other, with other team members, uh, learning from more senior members, um, career advancement, mentoring is particularly, uh, is we know is far better place to be achieved in the office than compared to at home. And that was really just backed up in our Savills Office Fit survey. So yeah, I think on the whole, I think at the moment, it's quite difficult to say 100% everyone's going to come back in five days a week. I think clearly the trend is at the moment, three days a week seems to be fairly common across yeah. most industries. I mean, the property industry, it's probably more than that um, in terms of maybe four, even five days a week. Because, um, you know, the you know, the other side of the coin is you, you, you have a big, I mean, I don't do Sunday nights anymore, but mm. you could have a big Sunday night on Clapham High Street or whatever. <laughs> and <laughs> hello, <Yeah. laughs> some recognition going on here and being able to get out of bed an hour later and not, and not, you know, have a shower before you start work because you're at home is a, is a blessing, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, potentially. Or is that not the way we should be thinking about <laughs> it? You know, it depends on the individual. Um, but yeah, in terms of, I guess, to sort of mitigate that it depends if your company has more prescriptive policies on working in terms of more uh, strict rotors i guess that's a way that that problem wouldn't happen but i guess it all i guess it all comes down to each individual company and each individual line manager really how young people will sort of progress their career and how about the way offices are organized i mean in a professional level you'll see that changing a, a fair bit mm. and so how are they changing and are they the right changes do you think for, specifically for your generation rather than maybe i don't know the boss's generation I think what we have seen and what we will continue to see is the reduction in the amount of fixed desks in an office building and more spaces to collaborate between different team members and consequently more innovation between different team members, uh, more areas for quiet focused work. That was one particular drawback from previous surveys on how people felt towards the office. There was limited space for quiet focused work. And I think in terms of having more yeah, particularly quiet rooms, etc., will probably happen going forward, as well as, as I previously mentioned, these larger open plan spaces for you know larger team meetings, etc., people to get together and just create more innovative ideas. Josh, Sophie, I mean, I don't want to ask about you specifically because you work for Savills, this is a Savills, blah, 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 but your friends, none of them are going to listen to this. Your friends, you know, are they in the, uh, I had a heavy night on, on, on Clapham High Street category, or do they all want to you know, be back in the office with the, the mentoring, the sharing, the learning the, and all that from, you're just hearing conversations at the next door yeah. desk and things like that. I think a, a blend is really important. I think we've moved in the right direction in terms of allowing an element of flexibility. Um, and people then can choose where they feel more comfortable to to work. And if that's, you know, blending their week to be able to crack on with project work and, and report writing at home and then being able to come in and meet up with colleagues and have that face-to-face interaction on other days, then, you know, that, that seems to be the, the best way to go forward. Yeah, I think it really varies speaking to friends about the company culture. And actually, some of my friends have said, oh, well, when I go into the office, it's actually really dead and there's no one there. So why would I bother going in? Because I can't actually talk to anyone. I may as well just be sat at home. Um, whereas, uh, well, particularly from, you know, Savile's experience, um, they've been quite proactive about us being in the office. And I've really enjoyed having that split of, you know, focus time at home and then coming in and socialising with my colleagues. And I 
I think it is really um, important for younger people starting out in their careers to actually build up their network. Um, and you absorb a lot in the in the office space that you never would at home. You pick up conversations, you hear about opportunities. That sort of tacit knowledge is something that you just don't get working in your bedroom. I think on top of that as well, like operators, office operators really need to make the office an appealing place for young people to come in. You know, we're paying to commute into an office. Um, so they really have to put on, you know, more in-person events, in-person training, things that will be appealing to make people want to come in. So let's move then, uh, Josh, onto your area, uh, talking about com- spending money on commuting and things like that. So uh, it, yeah, we're talking about retail, leisure, leisure spending and what you guys are doing now post post the pandemic. I say post, but, you know, as we move out of the pandemic there's been a certain amount of money saved i guess by not commuting uh, and by people living at home and things like that but as we say you know rents are really high and you know if you are lucky enough to get on the property ladder you there's you you've you've not got much spare cash what do you think josh is happening in terms of younger people spending now i think there definitely is um and will continue to be a bit of pent up demand in terms of spending but i think it's it's less about just spending to spend more about catching up on doing the things that we've potentially missed out on doing over the last two or so years um, and that's really supported parts of the leisure market um, you know if you look at restaurant covers for example um, restaurant covers in 2021 during the periods that were less restrictive actually exceeded pre-covid levels for for a great deal of the year and I think that's quite telling in terms of what people want to be doing and that's getting back out and socializing and meeting up with people and, and catching up on the things that we we missed out on yeah and the the whole i mean we said right at the beginning that your experiential leisure is is a uh, a big area for you and i i, I in other capacities i talked to companies like virgin media days and people like that about how you know how how much there is a demand there was before the pandemic a demand for experiences and doing things rather than just buying things especially as gifts and things like that is that obviously that was really badly hit by by the pandemic do you think there is that there's, there's just going to be a massive surge back to that sort of stuff yeah and i think we've already already kind of seen that and in terms of uh you know demand for space on the high street you know we've seen a lot of retailers fail and leave vacant units and some of those have been turned into you know leisure operators for example, down in Wandsworth, the, the Debenhams department store was repurposed, turned into a, a gravity um, leisure complex with um, an indoor go-karting track, which is something we'd never thought we'd see uh, in a shopping centre in, in southwest London. But, um, you know, it's done very well and, and is boosting footfall in, in that location. I just want to ask you all sort of, I'm not sure this really works, but I'm going to try it. And, and, and there's a certain thing about shopping, online shopping and all that sort of stuff we haven't really talked about yet, but we could talk forever about that and, and all that sort of thing. Do you think in some way, any of you, uh, this is my pet theory, that, that the sort of isolation of the last two years, not total, but the isolation of the last two years has got your generation thinking more about the the value of in-person interaction both in what you do in leisure but also shopping as well or is that just complete nonsense i think there's a bit of a mix i think local shopping has has really taken off you know if people are commuting less they're spending more time in their local area and therefore you know seeking the value in in their uh, local businesses but on the other hand you know e-commerce is always going to become more and more innovative you know you don't even need to leave instagram to buy a product now 
and the, the ease of, of doing this is just going to continue to grow. Personally, I'm probably moving a, a little bit more away from online shopping. During the pandemic, I think, you know, we saw a lot of online shopping just because there wasn't really much else to do um, alone in your flat and actually a bit of, a, you know, excitement to have a delivery coming to your door and, you know, keep yourself happy. But I think also on terms of sustainability side as well, I think we're all becoming increasingly aware of sort of the harms of fast fashion um, I personally exclusively now shop in charity shops um, or vintage shops and obviously that's something you can't really access online so I really like going into these shops and actually picking out a gem. Simon you, on the that that's an interesting point that Sophie raises about you know uh, ESG yeah. uh, and sustainability and, mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff is that a general thing do you think in terms of you know, the way you commute the way you buy things what you buy all that sort of stuff for your generation not just you personally but maybe your friends and yeah. and everything or is it is it oh, I don't know a bit token um, I think it depends on the individual. I think, obviously, how much money you have to spend. And since you're looking for a bargain, you may go to a, a fast fashion retailer. But on the other hand, if you're prepared to spend more money on a product because you want to have it ethically sourced, then, yeah, 100%, I do think people are doing that. And I think retailers realise people are doing that. So, obviously, they're having to promote their brand as being more sustainable. Yeah, yeah I think it's so easy now to keep up to date with who is and who isn't. Uh, promoting sustainable products and you know younger people will be amongst the first to cancel or boycott a brand for doing something that's unsustainable i want to get on to our 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 feature tell me something i don't know this is where you you come up with a little fact a little nugget of information that just makes makes the makes me or other people go oh that's interesting so where should we start well um we'll go round the table simon we'll do you first Mm -hmm. tell me something i don't know well, in terms of we've been just been talking about the demand from younger people for more sustainable fashion and general a lifestyle, which is more sustainable. And in terms of the office market, around a billion square feet in the UK is not classified as A or B, uh, energy performance certificate, which so effectively an EPC is how sustainable the building is. And at the moment, about 87, 87% of the UK office stock does not meet that threshold. Wow. So there's a huge sort of gulf in terms of the demand for this sustainable product compared to the actual supply. Josh, tell me something I don't know. Yeah, carrying on with the sustainability theme, I think this is about how younger people are shopping. Um, and Sophie mentioned it earlier. And that's that the resale or secondhand market is expected to be two times larger than the fast fashion market by 2030, um, according to a, a report by Global Data and ThreadUp, um, with 53% of millennials and Gen Z saying they'll be spending more on secondhand clothing over the next five years. So I think that really emphasises the sort of direction of travel in terms of young people and their environmental viewpoint. Sophie, what about you? Um, so this might sort of come back to the Kirsty Allsop comment you made earlier about how difficult it is for younger people to actually build up that deposit to buy a house. But based on the average first time buyer income and house price, it would actually take 24 and a half years to save the deposit required for a one bed property in London. Oh. Sorry, a bit of a depressing note to end I on. I know, isn't it? That's, <laughs> oh, oh, well, no, no, but it's, it's, but it's a realistic note and, uh, and we should be realistic when we're, when we're talking about these things. Guys, thank you all uh, uh, for that. I, I, I think it's been great to get a, a perspective from, from your generation and, and, and I certainly have, have learnt plenty from it. Um, if you want to delve into Savile's research more and maybe find things that these three have been writing about, then you'll find plenty on the research section of the Savile's website, savile's.co.uk slash research. 
that's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. Thank you very much for listening. See you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.